Welcome back, guys, to the OBG Med Student Podcast. This podcast is designed for medical students that are on their OB-GYN clerkship rotation. I'm Dr. Tanya Wright, and today we have our guest. Her name is Dr. Sarah Horvath. She's a family planning specialist here at the Hershey Medical Center. We're looking forward to talking through family planning with her today, also known as contraception. Um, We're going to work through a case, and we're going to get started. Welcome, Dr. Horvath. Thanks so much for having me. So this is a 17-year-old G0 who's coming into the clinic to talk about contraceptive methods. She's sexually active with her boyfriend and uses condoms occasionally when she needs them. She's never used any other methods. She's had two lifetime partners, and she initiated sexual activity at age 15 and had sex with her first partner three to four times but did not use contraception. She's worried today that she could be pregnant because she had unprotected intercourse three days ago. She would like to be on some form of more reliable contraception. She has a history of a well-controlled seizure disorder and had an appendectomy at age 11. She's taken valproic acid. She smokes one pack of cigarettes per day, drinks alcohol socially, and uses occasional marijuana. Her blood pressure today is 100 over 60 and her pulse is 68. Dr. Horvath, what pertinent historical information should you obtain from any patient prior to presenting recommendations for appropriate contraception? So a patient's sexual history is going to be really important. What was their onset of sexual activity? How many partners have they had since that time? Do they have a history of STIs or new partners since the last time they were tested? Do they want to be tested today? In fact, just being under the age of 25 is a risk factor for having sexually transmitted infections. So even just age is really important. Like with any medical uh, patient, you're going to want to get a really good history. So this is particularly focused on contraindications to estrogen-containing hormonal contraceptives. So those um, contraindications to using estrogen itself are migraines with aura, having a DVT or a stroke in your older patients, uncontrolled hypertension, smoking over the age of 35, and um, some thrombophilias. One of the key ways that you can really help sort this out for yourself is by using the CDC medical eligibility criteria. There is a convenient and free app that you can put on your phone, and you can really go in there and put in any comorbidities that your patient might have, and it will help to guide you in which methods are appropriate for which patients. Finally, you really want to get a good menstrual history. When was their last menstrual period? Do they have regular or irregular menses? And what are their future plans for fertility? Thank you for sharing that resource with us. That's really helpful. What are some of the physical exams or studies that are required prior to prescribing hormonal contraception? Very few. A pap smear is not actually required until the age of 21, and in fact, unless the patient is HIV positive or otherwise immunosuppressed, it's contraindicated to do a pap smear prior to that age. It's also completely uh, inappropriate to force a patient to have a pelvic exam just because they're a coming in for contraception. If they don't have any other indications for a pelvic exam, you shouldn't do one. Additionally, these patients should be screened for sexually transmitted infections or STIs. Patients under the age of 25 are at increased risk of gonorrhea and chlamydia. Not only that, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis have all been on the rise in this country and in the state of Pennsylvania since 2013. We've had a rise every single year. 
The nice thing is that gonorrhea chlamydia can actually be screened from a urine sample, so these patients don't need to have an exam in order to send that. Syphilis can be sent um, from a blood sample, as can HIV or the hepatitis if you are worried about those. A blood pressure should be obtained in patients who are thinking about using an estrogen-containing method to rule out any hypertension. It's really, really rare in these younger patients, uh, but it's easy to obtain. It's non-sensitive. It's low cost. So what contraceptive agents are suitable for this particular patient? So this particular patient uh, doesn't have really any contraindications to any particular method, so we can just talk through what each of those methods are. That sounds like an excellent idea. Why don't we start with combined hormonal methods like the pills, the patch, and the NuvaRing? Great. So those are the ones that everyone sort of traditionally thinks about when they think of birth control. The advantages of using the pill, the patch, or the ring are that they're very effective. Um, they have non-contraceptive benefits as well, including uh, menstrual control, um, a decreased risk for anemia, and decreased ovarian cysts. But there are disadvantages too. So there are some nuisance side effects, bloating, headache, breast tenderness, and nausea. Patients tend to notice those in the first three months or so, and they often do mitigate with time, but getting them through that period can be tough. They don't provide any STI protection, and you need to remember to take the pill every day, the patch every week, or the ring every month. So there's something for that patient to do on an ongoing basis in order to maintain efficacy. Some seizure medications may decrease their effectiveness, but this patient's on valproate, and that one does not, so she could use these if she wanted to. And then there is a small risk of um, significant complications such as DVT, PE, cardiovascular accident, or myocardial infarction. And that's why anything that contains estrogen has a longer list of contraindications than our progestin-only methods. So this patient was actually using condoms from time to time. What do you think about those? So condoms have a lot of great advantages. They um, protect you against STIs, and most of these other methods don't. You only have to use them when you need them. There's no hormonal input, which is really great. The disadvantage is that you have to use them every time. You have to have a partner who buys into um, using them every time and uses them effectively. And therefore, we know that they're, they're much, much less effective in the real world um, than they are in studies. What are some other options that she would have then? So then there are a lot of other progestin-only methods. The first one is the Depomedroxy progesterone acetate injection, or DEPO. Also, you'll see it abbreviated as DMPA. The advantages of the DEPO are that they are um, given as an injection every three months, so it's only four shots per year, and it's very effective. The disadvantages are that it can cause irregular bleeding. Uh, it's the only method that's been proven in studies to actually cause weight gain. And this is particularly problematic for a lot of our patients who are concerned about their weight. And there's no STI protection. Additionally, there is an FDA black box warning against depo due to bone mass density loss, and that black box warning says that you should be careful with use beyond two years. 
Now that's an older uh, warning, and there are actually lots and lots of longer longitudinal studies that tell us that that risk is probably overblown, and that if this method is working for your patient, it is safe and effective to continue use for many years beyond that. Next, there's an eternogestural subdermal implant. Again, this is a progestin-only method. Um, it's one of the great advantages is that once we place it inside the patient's arm, it is good for up to three years, and it is the most effective method out there, even more effective than having your tubes tied. However, you can return to ovulation within one to two weeks of having it removed. So highly effective when it's in, easily reversible when it's out. The disadvantages are irregular bleeding and no uh, STI protection. The irregular bleeding is definitely the most common reason for patients to discontinue this method, and it's important to counsel them that some people will have completely normal periods, some will actually have lighter periods or just spotting, but others will have really unpredictable bleeding, sometimes up to 20 days a month. Those patients generally tend not to like it. Next, we have a variety of intrauterine devices, or IUDs. If a patient really wants to be on a non-hormonal method, the copper IUD is probably the right thing for them. It also has some great advantages. It's got its long-term contraception. It's actually FDA approved for 10 full years of use, but of course it can be removed sooner. It's highly effective, less than 1% pregnancy rate over the first year. It has high continuation rates because people like it, and it can actually be used as postcoital contraception or emergency contraception up to five days after unprotected intercourse. The disadvantage, again, does not provide any STI protection, um, and it does cause um, increased bleeding or cramping in about one out of every five women. If an IUD sounds good, but the patient doesn't like this idea of the increased bleeding or cramping, then a levonorgestrel IUD might be the right thing for them. And there are several of these. So the brand names you may have heard of are Skyla, Kylena, Marina, or Liletta. The advantages of the levonorgestrel IUD are that, again, it provides long-term contraception. So a patient comes in once, has it placed, and has anywhere from three to six years of FDA-approved contraception. And we have some evidence that those um, that the Mirena and the Liletta might actually be effective to seven years, although that is considered an off-label use. Most of these patients will experience diminished bleeding, so it's actually also been approved. The Mirena, in particular, has been approved for treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding in addition to being a really great contraceptive. The disadvantages are that some um, people will experience hormone-related side effects. They can have possible irregular bleeding, and once again, no STI protection. Dr. Horvath, this patient did mention that she had unprotected sex about three days ago. Should we be concerned about that and in initiating birth control? So this is a patient who would be a really good candidate for emergency contraception. And there are actually three different kinds of emergency contraception. Plan B has done a really good job of taking up market share. Everybody pretty much knows what that is. And that's levonorgestrel that's used in high doses. And it's great for backing up the regular birth control. So that's something you can actually um, 
pre-prescribed for patients so that they can just keep it in their um, bedroom drawer if they want to. Um, in these times, like she's talking about where a condom breaks or they discontinue a method or they just didn't have a condom and got cut, carried away. So plan B is great because it's oral and it can stay in the um, bedside table. Ella, or ulipristal acetate, is another form of oral contraceptive for emergencies. And the Ella is actually more effective at any given time point and more effective longer. So plan B is technically FDA approved for 72 hours. You can give it up to five days, but it really decreases its efficacy over that time. Ella remains at higher levels of efficacy all the way through that five-day time period. And finally, the copper IUD can be used as emergency contraception up to five days after unprotected sex. The big advantage of the copper IUD is that it also provides ongoing contraception for that patient without them having to come back or switch methods or do anything different. The disadvantages are that the copper IUD requires a visit. And again, most people don't think of it as being emergency contraception. They think of plan B, which is available over the counter, um, or Ella, which is av available with a prescription. It's really reassuring to know that these patients have options, Dr. Horvath, but what if she declines emergency contraception? Sure. So as long as she has a negative urine pregnancy test, you can reliably start any other method that this patient would want. You have to counsel her if she does choose the levonorgestrel IUD that that has not been studied as an emergency contraceptive. And there's a small chance, even with a urine pregnancy test that's negative, that this patient might have a pregnancy that has not yet implanted. In which case, that levonorgestrel IUD in place with it can cause a higher a, a higher rate of miscarriage and a higher rate of preterm birth. With the exception of that, we know that all of these other methods have been extensively studied in women with pregnancy and they don't cause harm to the developing pregnancy. So you can absolutely start their depo, their pill, their patch, their ring, or anything else. If they are truly concerned that maybe they have that luteal phase pregnancy, that pregnancy that was not yet detected, then what you can do is send them home with a urine pregnancy test and tell them to take it in two to three weeks. And if it comes back positive, discontinue their method and make an appointment to see you. Dr. Horvath, thank you so much for being with us today and reviewing all of the family planning options. Um, we look forward to chatting with you more on other helpful topics. Thanks so much.